I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of the man. That's right. We urge members of both parties, just like Lyndon Johnson did in the 60s, we like to kick off the morning with the electric flag doing Killing Floor, which opens up with the... Uh, it's a great speech by Lyndon Baines Johnson. It's actually where he was actually uh, fighting for the uh, Voting Rights Act. But um, I think that was lost on Al Cooper and Mike Bloomfield at the time because they were high on dope and they were... Uh, Jewish kids who wanted to be black blues musicians. So, uh, but a great version of uh, Howlin' Wolf's Killing Floor. We could actually say Willie Dixon's Killing Floor. But ladies and gentlemen, none of that matters. That doesn't matter to you right now. What matters to you is that you are listening to Comedy Schools or Radio.com. You're listening to This American Podcast Comedy Edition. My name is Tony Visick, but I'm sure you know that by now. And I am coming to you from the ComedySchools.com studios that sit high above, uh, hold on, hold on, I got one sound effect. That's it. Hi. Above uh, um, uh, the Scottsdale Financial Center. So your headphones aren't working right. Can you hear me through your headphones? You can't hear anything through your headphones? You can't hear through your headphones. Uh, you might just have to listen to me normal. Can you hear now? Can you hear me now? Uh, this was all worked out right before we came on. Let's try this. Can you hear me now? Um, we're going to, you know what? We, we have a guest in the studio already, and we're already having some a minor headphone issues there we go man i feel like i should start over so you can hear the song and everything rich but um uh we're gonna in just a couple of moments ladies and gentlemen you'll be listening to the mellifluous tones of uh one rich scheidner here on the radio uh rich is um at the tempe center for the arts tonight part of the continuing tempe comedy concert series one show one show only 7 30 p.m tempe center for the arts and he's also going to be doing a book signing afterwards of his book, Kick It Through the Ashes by Rich Scheidner, My Life as a Stand-Up in the 1980s Comedy Boom. Uh, we've talked to you about this uh, book before. We've talked to you about Rich before. He's been on the show before. But this is the first time, ladies and gentlemen, live. Good morning, Rich. Hey, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing good, buddy. You know, it's always odd when I do these types of interviews because uh, you came out yesterday and stayed at the house. Yeah. And we've been talking. Yeah. We've been chewing the fat. You yes, know, as uh, we do every shoot, time. Shooting the breeze, you know, chewing the fat and shooting the breeze. And now we're like on this sort of formalized, but it's not formal no, not thing. Really. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. But uh, I've watched people just change their demeanor totally. We're saying, hey, how you doing? Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a funny thing happened as I was driving up today. And they go, yeah, I know, yeah, because yeah. you were in the car with me, man. So, uh, so you're at uh, TCA tonight. This is like uh, what your second or third time we've you've been there with us. I think so. You know, you've brought me. You know, I was thinking this today. You know, I came here first time in '82 when Chuckles opened. I they saw me at tape evening the improv. Yeah. Earl and uh, I can't remember his partner. So for you, know, Chuckles was at comedy club. Com uh, yeah. Yeah. First comedy club in 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 Phoenix. First wave. Open January of 82. First wave of comedy clubs. Right. There were several comedy clubs here in the 80s. It was right. A hot this town. was the first one. Chuckles 82. So they said, we're going to open the club with Henny Youngman as the headliner. We'd love you to come open for him. I said, great. And they were they offered a lot of money for that time. And then uh, a little while later, uh, this was October, November, whatever, they said, uh, they called me back and said, Henny canceled. You headline. We checked around. You headline. <laughs> and... Uh, and the money gets doubled. It was huge money. It was just crazy money at the yeah. time. 
And I went there, and within like a week, I signed a management contract. Because they were signing everybody management contracts. Yeah. The, the incentive was basically, I think it was about a quarter ounce of, <laughs> of brewery and flake. Mm-hmm. And they signed me and Paul Rodriguez and Rick Overton. Everybody who had a, a addictive nature back then signed a management contract with this this new. It was packed. Place was packed. It was a big. It was a former like a country western bar. So that place closed. I've been coming back here ever since. And you brought me back when I started coming back to do stand up comedy after I am comic documentary. Like I think what was that? You brought me back to do um, Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's. You, what year was that? Uh, that was 2010. The, 2010. Right. You had been off the road for about nine or ten years, yeah. and uh, you'd been writing on TV more than that, shows. Yeah, more than that. But yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. And that's right. And you go and I, and it was like my first gig. Yeah. To come back and do Dave and Buster's. Yeah. I still have that picture of that, the return of Rich Scheidner with Dave and Buster's. <laughs> and it was then, a good little show. Yeah, but I've come back, to, you know, it came back, that Mark Anderson brought me back, and I was sort of like comic in residence for, yeah. for a while there at the Improv around 2011. And then uh, and then I've come back a couple times with you. This is uh, it's amazing. Well, we're glad, we're, you know, I'm, I'm always glad to see I see you every time yeah. uh, I, I'm in Los Angeles that you're in town. Um well, it's in the book there, man. I mean, I've known you since 85 when you and I both got sober around that same time. You, I, you yesterday. Yeah, yesterday would have been, uh, is, would have been. <laughs> yesterday was 32 years. Yeah. I think yesterday. It's sometime around That's now. a good, look, that's a good bottom when you can't remember the exact date. I know. It's, I know. it's sometime when you walked out of the jail. I Sometime I walked out of the jail. No, yeah. no, I went to jail. That, I got out of jail that morning, went out and got loaded again that night. And that was the last ah, time. Okay. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna let them. I wasn't gonna. Well, I went to jail. Yeah. No, that is gonna. No. I'll show you. Yeah. You. Yeah. You can't lock me up. <laughs> the law can't touch me. <laughs> and uh, my first clear sober recollection was being in a church uh, someplace on a Sunday and getting ready to leave, and seeing another comic you and I know well, Argus. Uh, as I started to get up, I looked and I went. <laughs> I saw him and I went. Oh, I'll stay here. So. Uh, um, no, he wasn't there then. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he. Oh, bounced. oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He he. Then bounced out. He bounced out. Uh, I, you know, Argus is my when I tell these stories. Argus um, used to come to a place where I used to attend bar where I also had a sideline business, and that's where Argus used to come to pick up. Uh, I'm sure he did. Yeah, he came to pick up his, his dry cleaning, his prescription. <laughs> he had a prescription. And the problem with Argus was uh, he always wanted to have his prescription to pay later, and a little uh, wimpy action. I, I'll gladly pay you mm-hmm. Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, uh, the people who were uh, working for me uh, would they'd go, well, he's a big comedian. I go, I don't care who he is. He owes us 100 bucks. <laughs> so uh, If the people I do business with find out that yeah. I do business with the people they don't know to do business with, mm-hmm. the people I do business with won't do business with me anymore. Because then your business becomes a little dangerous. Yeah. So uh, uh, th- we actually made a, uh, a pledge to one another that, that if he ever came into that bar uh, loaded, that I wouldn't serve him. Uh, we made that pledge to another, and uh, a few months later, he actually did. And he walked in and looked and saw I was behind the bar because I was now sober, but still working as a bartender for a while. And he looked at me and goes, you're not going to serve me, are you? I go, I made you a promise. And the next time I saw him was out here. I was doing a show, and he was out here uh, going through a process. But he's, you know, he's been uh, sober he's forever. Honorable man, Argus. A very he, honorable he, man. Even loaded, he could go, you know what? I see we have made a bargain here. Because you know how many times you've made bargains with people in the bar? They come up, they go, hey, hey, I'm getting really kind of messed up. Hold my money for me. I don't want to spend all my money. Don't give it back to me yeah. anymore. And then five minutes later, they come, give me my money back. Sure. I listen, or I, give me the car keys. Here's the car keys. I can't drop them too much. And they come back with a girl five minutes later. Give me the car keys. I used to go on runs and 
it'd be where there was a lot of talking, a lot of this. <laughs> anyway, so when we make this movie, <laughs> you get a star in man. You star. So, uh, and there, you'd get to that point, I go, all right. Tomorrow, if I call you up and I say, uh, sell me, don't sell me, I'll kill you if you sell. And I'd actually call people and go, I know I said I'd kill you. If and Not that I could kill anybody in particular. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know I said I'd kill you if you sell me anything, but if you don't sell me anything, I'm going to kill you for real. So, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Argus actually lived up to that bargain, and Argus is uh, one of the most uh, prodigious joke writers that I know. Uh, and is amazing. An amazing guy, still writing very funny jokes, was there at the beginning. President of Creation at the Comedy Store, yep. hanging out with Richard Pryor and, and God knows who else. I, I encourage Argus to write his book. Argus I want him to write his book because his stories from that time and period of time in the 70s at the Comedy Store would be the best. You know, it would be interesting because it would be like your book would be from Ulysses Grant's perspective and his is from Robert E. Lee's perspective. Yeah, when things were going good <laughs> early in the war. From early in the war. His would be up to the, the Battle of the Pines, Seven Pines. Yeah. Up to that point. Yeah. <laughs> Now you're gonna be a book. You're gonna. I've read your book, of course. I mean, not only did I get your book, uh, uh, and uh, uh, gladly bought your book. You know, I think one of the problems for guys uh, uh, that write books is that, um, and you're, you know, and you're, and you're trying to sell your book. So many of your friends want you to give it to them for free. It's like I put on shows, <laughs> and I always get people coming up and go, "Hey, can you get me in?" I go, "Yeah, it's real easy. You buy a ticket." Yeah. <laughs> and I've actually had people go, "You're gonna charge me?" And I go, "That's how I make a living. You don't have to come." We already have a discount from a GoTony two dollars off, but uh, <laughs> I didn't. I I didn't say, "Hey, I'm I'm your friend." I bought the book, which uh, uh, and I was glad to pay for the book. And also, I automatically got enrolled in Amazon Prime. So this is uh, a seventy nine dollar book. Yeah, it's a seventy nine dollar <laughs> book. Uh, uh, but th you know, that's happened before with Amazon Prime. This time, I just went. We'll keep it. And we'll use it for something. So, uh, but it's a great book, and I've told people about, uh, and I tell people who want to know about stand-up comedy are already entertained about the book. That not only is it your story, it's also uh, the story, uh, kind of a history of the modern era stand-up comedy. Yeah, and uh, it's full of really great information. Not just inf not just advice. Everybody's full of advice. I have comics go, I talked to this one guy, gave me some good advice. I go, and then did he borrow money from you? <laughs> then did he ask you for one of your jokes? Then did he ask to sleep with your sister? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, yeah, you know. I tell him, I say, when a comic comes to town, they don't want to talk to you. You know, I go, half the time, you go, hey, can you give me any advice? If they would give you advice, yeah, quit. I don't want the competition. Yeah, um, but uh, this book is not only got full of great advice, but really great, useful information for anybody who wants to do stand-up. So how did you manage, or did you know, when you wrote this book, that you were actually writing three things that were working seamlessly yeah. together? Yeah. Yeah? No, I mean, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know if they worked seamlessly, but I had three goals. One was to, to tell my story. Yeah. You know, which is enough. And then I, I, I definitely wanted, story. To, wanted to have the history of it. Yeah. The whole history of it. And then I, I definitely wanted to cover every area of stand-up that I could think mattered. Yeah. Dealing with hecklers, joke thieves, writing jokes, travel, everything I could think of. Yeah. That that mattered. So the, my, my experiences, and they're pretty universal. I mean, the if you read the history of it, the heckling hasn't changed over the years. No. You know, dealing with hecklers, it's the same thing, the same formula. The, the joke writing is... Joke writing Fred Allen is joke writing today. You know, I always love people going, I mean, I put a thing in there, that 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 moment I had with Maury Amsterdam, where we think we're always, everybody thinks they're doing something totally new. Like, yeah. we reinvent it every time. And then you realize, it's just a continuum. It's just morphing 
it's just evolution. It moves as slowly as evolution sometimes. So yeah, there's those big breakthrough moments like when Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul sort of broke it apart and changed everything radically. Yeah. But overall, there's a lot of a lot of the same. Well, you know, the, under, the, old, the underlying structure that held up the Roman Colosseum is still the underlying structure that's holding up this building that we're in. That's right. You know, and, and that's that's what I try to impart to people. I know, I read a, a story one time, uh, Larry King. Larry King was hanging out with Jackie Gleason, uh, and they were watching a young Jewish comic in Miami because there were so many comics in those days, late 50s, they went down to Miami, and Jackie Gleason was beating the guy at every punchline. He goes, now he's going to say this. Yeah. Now he's going to say this. And the young, the young comic was Woody Allen. And Jackie Gleason was, he wasn't, he was shouting out to him. He was just sitting there drinking with his buddy Larry King. It was a, a joke about a, a Jewish guy trying to join a, a restricted club. And uh, uh, how he dressed up like a moose and gets shot. And then they cut off the head and put it up in the wall. But call the famous moose story. That's, yeah. that's from a part. Yeah, this, you know, like you said, you know, they called, in his, early in his career, they called him Alan Woody. Because he's a switch artist. Uh. He was, you know, you can't fool the comics. And, but he had a great delivery, a great persona. Yeah. But this persona really wasn't Woody Allen. Woody Allen wasn't really nebbishy, nerdy no. kind of guy. He was an athlete. He was really sort of gregarious and got around and popular. But he he built a this character, and then the, the jokes fed into the character. And that's when most comics are successful, ones that have an identifiable character. Yeah. And then the jokes feed that character. Yeah. So that explains me and you. Why we're not the most <laughs> famous comics. You know, it, I, I had I had a, a, a desire when I went back to a town. I felt like I had to go come up with a whole bunch of new stuff instead of doing the same stuff. I, I, totally. Yeah, and then I, I realized a little too late that some guys that were doing the same stuff then became that identifiable character. So I I had so many different looking back personas when I first started. Yeah, and also I just loved the the smell of new jokes. I like that new joke smell. And I just got more excited by the jokes. I'm more of a writer than a performer. I always felt like that. And I just loved it. And plus, when we first started, when I first started, back in when Thing Exploded. Yeah. You know, I started in 77. Thing Exploded in 80. The clubs, if you did well, they go, there weren't a lot of headliners. There yeah. weren't a lot. So they go, can you come back in a couple months? And you want to come back, you go, well, I, 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 I got to have new material. Uh-huh. So you do a play to play place three, four times a year. You got to work on material a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I love I love uh, I love writing jokes as well. Um, you actually, um, Claudia Lanau was the one that told me that I should do stand up first. Okay, uh, and she said you should do stand up, and I go, I have no idea how this works. She's the one that introduced me to you, you know. Um, but I had like the night before, and uh, that's that book. That story is partially in your book. Yeah, I had gone. Um, I knew everybody at the Melrose Improv because it was one of my stop-offs uh, in a different incarnation. You're, yeah, your Willie Loman rounds. Yeah, yeah, there were certain places I stopped off. Yeah. I had packages. I had friends. Yeah. I, a lot of shaking hands yeah. and then another shaking hands. And, <laughs> so, anyway, so I go, I got to do something now. I had all this energy. Oddly enough, when you stop doing coke, you have a lot of energy. <laughs> Oddly, you get to a certain point where you're doing coke, you have no energy. And rent money. Yeah, and rent money. All of a sudden, I had money. Yeah. You know? And um, so I thought, I'll go in and watch the... They have comedy other room at the improv. I just knew the front end, you know, where the bar and the dance floor was. Yeah. And I go, I'll go in and watch these comics. That might be fun. You know? And I knew everybody so I could get in free. I knew Loretta the bartender. I knew Lorenzo the doorman. You know? And uh, uh, so I went in one night, and I'm there with this girl, and... Uh, you're on stage. I don't know you're you. I'm just, you know, um, the night before, some 
Oh, no, the comic right before you was a female comic who wasn't doing well and decided to heckle me or to give me a hard time. Going, well, you're a cute couple. Where did you meet? Like at a sorority? Go, we met in a prison dance. Move on. <laughs> it was a female comic who used to run on the stage all the time from the 80s. I can't remember. You would know her name if I said it. What's her name? I can't. She, she, I'm not going to say I can't remember it. She had a little pop during that time. It's a female comic, dark hair. Um... Uh, no one who went anywhere, you know. We're not like Paula Poundstone and other people who were around at that time went somewhere. Uh, damn it, I can't remember her name. You would know it in a any, heartbeat. Any bits you can remember? Uh, no, 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 no. That's the other issue. Ran on stage. Ran on stage. And I also remember that one night at the Laugh Factory after I do it for a couple of years, went up and said she did. I heard her whisper into the guy, I don't want to follow that guy. I don't like what he does. And can I go up before him? And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, and I'm new. And when you're new, you look at all these comics like they're wonderful people because you've watched them. Yeah, That's yeah. part of the reason why. Yeah, yeah. But I knew she wasn't a wonderful person anyway. Anyway, you come on stage after this woman who wasn't doing well. And, and actually, you know, that was a pretty hokey line for me. I'm a guy in the audience. She could have come back with all kinds of stuff on that. But she just kind of crumbled behind it. Because she didn't have anything. Yeah, she folded. Yeah. And uh, then you come up on stage and you're wearing a long trench coat. And I think you're wearing like a kind of pork pie hat. I think. If I remember. No, you I did wear I did wear pork pie yeah, back yeah. then. And I think you took it out and you were all sweaty, uh, uh, which was so rare for you on stage. And... Uh, <laughs> And you're up there, and you're just walking on stage like you like you you look like you're planning on who you're gonna punch, like <laughs> like like if if the if the head of the gang had four guys who had stolen from there, go I am gonna hit one of these guys. That's why you're looking at the audience. Yeah. Like you're trying to figure out, what, and and I'm watching it, and no one's laughing because you're scaring people. You're screaming and yelling. I remember the one line you had. The one line you had was, uh, "I quit doing coke six weeks ago." I think that's when we kind of pay attention, and now I deserve I can do new things like. Pay rent. I remember <laughs> that line. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was the one that made me kind of look up and go, oh, this guy quit doing, okay, all right. And I started watching, and I'm laughing like hell. And part of, I'm laughing because you're funny. I'm also laughing because it's such a train wreck. And, you know, yeah. and I'm laughing. I'm the only one laughing. There's about 30 people in the room, you know, uh, which is kind of a small crowd. It's early. It's a Wednesday, 9 or 10. And uh, I'm the only one laughing. And finally, you spin around. And you look at me and go, what's your problem, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing at? Yeah, yeah, what are you laughing at? Yeah, yeah, what are you laughing at? And I actually looked at you and I went, I think you're funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah said, okay, yeah. but fine, you know. Yeah. And the next day, and I think I was going in too because Claudia had seen, it heard, it talked to me and goes, you should try this. And my dad owns part of a club. And I go, really, which club? Well, you know, that you, you caught me when I was just coming back just, to, to learn how to perform without alcohol and drugs. Yeah, Very yeah. big yeah. transition. Very quite difficult quite a, transition. Yeah. A yeah. rebirth, so to speak. I didn't know if you were up there, like, you know, treated like a sweat lodge where you were just sweating. Yeah. <laughs> that I, was part of the... <laughs> I, think it, I think if you had kissed like an underage child, you'd get arrested for child abuse because all the drugs coming off of you. Yeah, You know, yeah, but um, yeah. uh, the next day is like a Thursday, and I'm going down to uh, uh, the Melrose Improv to meet Claudia on Thursday, at, you know, around noon, and uh, she goes, I got someone I want you to meet. And I go, okay, all right, it can help you. And I go, okay, help, help, help. <laughs> and we come around a corner where the bar is, and you're standing there holding the bar like you're trying to rip it apart. like Just holding on to the bar the way, it, the way people hold on. Like, if I let go, I'm going to fall off the earth. Oh, you're sober. And I go, I go, she goes, this guy, I go, that guy, I go, that guy's nuts. <laughs> I said, Claudia, I said, I saw that guy last night. He threatened me. She goes, no, he's very funny. Believe me. And I went over and go, how you know I'm Tony? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Your first impression was correct. <laughs> yeah.
Claudia, that guy is nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, we didn't. I didn't go to the rehab. You know, no. my my rehab was my couch. You know, in in that little one room apartment I had in, in West uh, Hollywood. In West Hollywood. Yeah. that's where my detox. And then I'd go on stage, and I literally walked off stage so many times. And Bud, it's one of the reasons why I love Bud Freeman. And I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd walk off early, another comic had to jump off, or I'd just flip the mic and walk off, and I'd be walking out, you know, storming out there, and Bud be like, see you tomorrow, 10 o'clock, Rich. Yeah. And they kept giving me, like, primetime spots until I could, you know, get back to being a primetime comic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he helped me. Bud Freeman was, uh, uh, I didn't know Bud nearly as well as you, but uh, and uh, what I didn't realize was that Bud knew me more than I realized. Uh, and there was, uh, um, when I realized that he knew me more than I realized, was when he came up to me one day, and I was walking through uh, the improv, and I had my daughter with me, and she was about one. And I, without going into a big deal, I was going through an adoption process with this. Right. And Bud Friedman walks up. It was the first time Bud Friedman ever came, because they usually, hey, Bud, if I could just shut up, mm. you know. And uh, um, uh, he comes up to me, and uh, he goes, Tony. And I go, yeah. You know, it's like a little scared of Bud, you know. And he goes, uh, I've heard what's going on with this baby. I hear you're trying to adopt this baby. because I've watched you with this baby. Yeah, I know the story. I've asked around what's going on. Who the and you should have this baby. And Tony, I have the finest lawyers in Los Angeles at my fingertips. It was a little bud. That's he, nice. Yeah, he goes at my fingertips, and I am willing to pay for a lawyer for you because you should have this baby. And I look at him. I go, Bud. I go, thank you so. And this is true. Absolutely, I'm not embellishing. I go. I go. That's wonderful. I go. We have a great lawyer. I think we're doing okay. I appreciate it very much. I go. If we started getting a jam, can I ask you? He goes. Yes, of course you can. And I go, uh, and by the way, can I get a spot Friday night? And he went, absolutely not. And you're standing in the wrong place. <laughs> and just walked off. <laughs> that, a lot of people had different goals. So early on, my goal was Bud to walk up to me one day and go, that's a good place to stand. Good place to stand. He used to. Uh, you're in the way. You're in the way. You're in the way. Yeah. He would come up and yell at me if other people had thrown trash outside or something. <laughs> like it was my job. And I, and I go, I can't do anything about that. I go, your friends threw paper cups in front of my club. I go, I, I, I. <laughs> but uh, um, uh, I actually got to um, uh, know him a little better, more out here, where he'd be coming out here doing things. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, he was more helpful than I realized. You want, what you want, or what I want, it was someone to go, oh, we realize that you're the most fantastic person. Now we're going to put you in a vehicle that's perfect for you. You know, but what they're doing is they're watching and helping along the way. You know, and he was watching help along the way. They were started giving me spots, had me MC shows, and putting me up on shows. And uh, but then I decided to open my own club. So uh, really helpful, uh, not just to you and I, but to so many people who became legendary and famous. Yeah. And I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. Yeah. Because he was comics have a, a a difficult time with authority. Oh. And even though Bud was just another guy who happened to own a nightclub. He if you want to be successful as a nightclub owner, you got to hold the line because comics will they'll tear you apart. Yeah. If you're weak, they'll tear you apart. They'll take advantage of you in every possible way. Yeah. It's a symbiotic relationship. Bud was a great club owner. Yeah. And that's like your story there. There was another side to him. He saw everything that happened there. Yeah. He everything. saw I had a problem with alcohol and drugs before uh -huh. I knew anybody knew that I had a problem. Yeah. You know, he, yeah, he, he, he moves things around without you knowing it. Now, I don't remember if you uh, mentioned this in your book or not, but I had, a, a, I had a woman ask me the other night, a woman who I put on a show Wednesday at the Tempe Improv. Uh, she asked me, she goes, my friends have asked me why it's called the Improv when all they do is stand-up comedy. So, I mean, I know, but I mean, you have a, probably a little bit better, a clearer uh, 
statement of what Bud did back in the 60s. When, when he started the club in 1962. 62. And it was just a, was just a little room that was going to be a place where performers, his wife, Silver Friedman, was a Broadway performer, uh-huh. singer. So this was going to just be a place for like an after the shows were finished, they could come and hang out, the yeah. performers could hang out, and play, and yeah. play, sing, improvise, improvise, improvise. That was a big thing back then. It was kind of a new thing that, yeah. you know, that, that, that came out of Second City and the and the, the, the compass players from Chicago. Chicago yeah. And so improvisation was sort of a new thing. It was a hot thing. It was yeah. a hot thing in the late 50s, early 60s. So Elaine May and Mike right. Nichols. Right. So, the, so there were a lot of people who came in who weren't – the stand-up comedy sort of came into the place later. Then I forget the name of the first comic. I, it's it's in the Last Laugh, I think that book, Laugh, Last Laugh. But there was a comic that came in and sort of discovered that Bud would put him on stage. Uh, and once comics find out there's a place, there we're go. an infestation, man. Yeah. And then the comics started coming, and Richard Pryor shows up, and all these other comics start showing up, and then Robert Klein, and then it be then the comics sort of took over. When I first got there. Um, it w- there, there were singers, but they were like a spice in the show. Every yeah. every four or five mi- comics, there might be a singer. And on the weekend shows, there'd be like f- five comics and one singer. Yeah. So the, the definitely it was a comic equation by then. But early on, it was all singers. And, yeah. And the, and the comics who came in, they were, they were actors who were doing improvisation. Sure. So that's how it is. You know, uh, it's it. the first time I went to the Melrose Improv, and I went to the Melrose Improv before I went to the New York Improv, I went to see a singer. I was uh, going to uh, acting school with uh, um, Amy Madigan, who later on married Ed Harris. She was in Field of Dreams. She's been, a lot of stuff. She's on Broadway. She did Streetcar on Broadway a while back. So, uh, but Amy Madigan says, hey, I'm in this all-girl band, and we're playing this place, this new place on Melrose called The Improv, and you guys should come down and see me. And we're all broke actors going, you know, broke acting students. We're actually just broke. And uh, we go, do we have to pay? And she arranged for us to get in. And Jack Madras, who later on was Bill Hicks' manager, was her boyfriend manager at the time. We didn't. And it was an all-girl band that was kind of comical. They all dressed in, like, uh, uh, white um, jumpsuits that were rolled up to the knee. And uh, they, they had a trombone player. And Amy was a great, and still is, a great singer. The first time I saw a, a show at the Improv was a band. And I used to go, later on I would go there, still even in the uh, mid, uh, uh, mid-80s, and I would see Improv uh couple improvs and uh, uh, a guy we talked about the other day t-bear would come richard in t-bear, richard right. t-bear would come in and play the piano right you know there were a few people who dale gagne who did music and yeah. comedy music and then there's the, uh, the um off the wall was a improv yes, yeah, group yeah 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 right in there uh george went was part of that from cheers and and in new york uh early on it was a guy named harvey lembeck Sure. Who taught acting, but also improvisation. It's legendary now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Improvisation. Yeah. Big time in New York City in so, the early 60s. So um, so anyway, that kind of answers the question that was asked. And, and uh, I gave that answer, but now you've, you've, uh, you've doubled up. You know, you've, you've actually verified. Verified. It's now a bona fide answer. So uh, that, uh, that's how the improv, because they used to, on the sign, they used to do a little takeoff on a Old McDonald's commercial would say over uh, it's a actors sing it'd say over it's a actors singers. over a million laughs served over a million laughs served yeah, yeah. and after a while I took off the uh, act, it used to say actors jugglers comedians and they just kind of took that off after a while you no know, uh, jugglers but they were all gone first they were they were the first casualty it was a low ceiling anyway yeah yeah well you can't juggle with a low ceiling yeah 
I'd like to point that out. So anyway, you're going to be at uh, uh, TCA tonight at 7.30. It's kind of a combination show. Uh, it's yeah? a combo show because you're going to be doing stand-up, right? Yeah, I'm going to be doing stand-up, and I'll be doing, doing stories from the book. Yeah. And then I'll be signing books that I sell afterwards. But we say because you, you, you brought some books that people I brought some books. And you're going to, uh, you know, my book is not signed. I will sign it, brother. And I'm going to tell you something interesting about your book, okay? I mean, besides the fact that I actually read it all the way through. And I've got a stack of books. You were in my office. You know, and it's just books everywhere. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I have a problem in life right now. And that is, I've got a lot of friends who now write books. And as soon as your friends write books, they will send you the book. Not you. I had to buy the damn thing. You're smarter than most. Okay. They will send you the book. And you'll thank them. And go, hey, I'm going to send you my book. Yeah. Okay. And then you never read the book. Yeah. Or you read a couple pages and you go, Ey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I applaud anybody who writes a book. Anybody who writes a book, you know, most people, most people, most, the majority of Americans, if they go to college, after they graduate college, never read another book. Yeah, that's, that's a right. weird. It's, that's a, right. it's a weird thing to believe, but, uh, but it's true. So, but they write a book and then I don't read the book. So then I stop taking their calls. So then they think that I'm mad at them or hate their book, but I just don't have the guts to go, I'm not going to read your book. Did you have your pictures in the middle? Cause I'll look at those. And uh, so I'm losing friends. I need less literate friends. I'm looking for people who can't not only don't write but also don't read because they'll never ask me to read their books. I, I, I read books that people do the same thing. Yeah. And sometimes you go, you got to pay for an editor. Yeah. I mean, I paid for three editors for this. Yeah. For typos, spelling, grammar. I mean, it was really important to me because I read some people's books. I go, did you have anybody edit this at all? I mean, it's just, it's it's tough to read. Yeah. It's tough to read when there's you know, error after error. So you, you really need to, you know, if you're going to do it, you can, anybody can write a book and just dump it in the Kindle. Aren't you amazed how many times you'll write, you know, I'll write something and I'll have it on a computer screen and I'll read it and I think it looks fine. And then I'll print it out and then I'll look at the printout and go, this is terrible. <laughs> no, and then no. I'll change it and then I'll give it to like Shirley or my brother or people if I write anything that's, you know, going to be, you know, uh, uh, of, uh, of article length or anything. And then they'll read it, and then they mark it up, you know. And so you we're actually going through like two or three processes. But before I even gave it to the editors, I had rewritten it so many times. Yeah. Even putting it on Facebook. I put these stories on Facebook you a did. lot, right? And people would go, there's an error, there's an error. You know, yeah. not just grammar, but spelling. But also, you know, this people would correct me factually. The, yeah. the people who were there would go, uh, you don't remember this. I was there for this story. Yeah. And you forgot this or you yeah. forgot that or, you know, this person was also there. So I got a lot of help just with the, the, the history of it. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of stories there where I thought I remember it differently, but I thought, no, I'll just let this go. <laughs> you know, there's no, it's, so, it's so already, these stories are 30, 40 years old. Everybody remembers it differently. It's already written. I'm not yeah. going to, yeah, this yeah. is. This is it. What difference is it? But, so, uh, but it's a great book and a great read, and you're a funny guy, and it's going to be a great show. And, uh, um, uh, a lot of tickets are already starting to go for the show. And if you would like to see the show tonight, and by the way, if you are a stand-up comic or aspire to be a stand-up comic, or more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, if you live with a stand-up comic or have a child stand-up <laughs> comic, and you want to know uh, what to do with them, this would be the show. <laughs> this is this is like what it is today. This is what it is today. <laughs> if you're living with a stand-up comic, I don't understand him. You want to come see the show tonight. Get this book. Right. And, and buy this book because it will help you deal with yeah. It's, this is Maybe like, that's how you should sell a book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. How to deal with 
You're, the stand-up comic in your life. The stand-up comic in your life. It's it's like a, an like Al-Anon. A, like an Al-Anon book, sort of a, yeah. a book of addiction. If you've got a son who's an addict or you have a daughter who's an addict, yeah. or, you know, that this book can help you learn how to deal with them. There's plenty of comics for That's it. the selling. Pl- That's... <laughs> Because everybody has one now. It's it's sort of like yeah. you know it's sort of like having you know before like you know they get, everybody goes well everybody has somebody who's in their family who's gay. Yeah. Right? Now everybody has somebody in their family who's a stand up. I mean yeah. that's the whole difference between when I did the number count for the amount of comics that when I started in seventy seven. Yeah. So when I moved to New York, I go I'll just use New York nineteen seventy nine as a point. Yeah. I try to do a count of the amount of comics in the country, four to five hundred. Four to five hundred. Yeah. Tops. Everybody. Yeah. Right. There are four or five hundred comics in Toledo now. I mean, when we first started, if you go to a party, when I'd go to a party in 1980, somebody goes, "What do you do? Yeah. Go to a stand-up comic?" People, it would like just stop. The party would stop. Yeah. People come, a stand-up comic. How do you do that? I've never met one before. Now you, they go, yeah, I, I used to do it. My brother does it. My mom used to do stand-up. Yeah. Everybody does stand-up. Yeah. Everybody's done it. Yeah. There's a guy in the bathroom. You wait to yeah, go to the bathroom. Yeah, the yeah. guy in there's doing stand-up. He's doing stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I, I don't, you know, um, I, I remember when I first moved to L.A. and I was talking to a, a, an acting coach of mine, Hedy Sontag, who was just a, a great, uh, and kind of one one of the people who, anybody who studied with her um, uh, really learned a lot. And she was very cool and very empowering. And we said, when do we know if we're actually actors? She goes, you're an actor now. So that was very empowering. But it used to be that you had to make a living at something. Like, you can't, I look, I recently ran a piece of plastic tube from one bush to another bush out in my front yard, but that doesn't make me a plumber, you know? And I go, I'm a plumber. Why? Well, you know, because I, I changed some, or, and I, I, you know, I've changed a couple of faucets in my house. Never tell you the Schimmel story? No. So Robert Schimmel, when he first came to the great Robert Schimmel, an Arizona yeah. native, yeah. comes out, to, he's got, he had great stories, told me yeah. some great stories. And uh, so he moved when he moved out to LA at first he was a stereo salesman he's working at Beverly Stereo which is a high end stereo place in mm-hmm. LA they get a call Steve Martin this is like 1979 yeah. 1980 right in that area Steve Martin uh, uh, wants a high end stereo so Schimmel jumps on I'll take that order and he pulls together whatever the best banging off some whatever and he mm-hmm. goes over to Steve Martin's Beverly Hills house and he's setting up the stereo in Steve Martin's living room and Steve Martin's sitting there watching him uh-huh. Right? Because he's going to set it up and try it. Yeah. So Schimmel says, I can't resist. I'm doing my act. I'm doing my act as I'm setting it up. I'm trying <laughs> my jokes, doing my jokes. Steve Martin's giving him nothing. No laugh, nothing. Joke after joke, nowhere. So finally Schimmel says, I just snapped. I said, you know, Steve, I'm a comic too. And Steve says, no, you're a stereo installer. <laughs> when you make your living doing stand-up comedy... Then you'll be a stand-up, stand-up comic. comedy. Yeah. Com- you, when you make your living doing stand-up comedy, then you'll be a comic, right? Yeah. Cut to five years later, Robert Schimmel's doing his first comedy CD. Mm-hmm. Who does the liner notes? Steve Martin. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Steve Martin wasn't being a jerk. He was no, just being he just a, being, you know, just, uh, that's the fact. Although, oddly enough, he did a movie called The Jerk. Yeah, but so, he, he, he wasn't being yeah. a jerk, and Schimmel didn't take it that way. Yeah. He said, you know, he was right. He was absolutely right. I mean, that's what you have today. I mean, there are people, I call them shade tree comics. They never intended to quit their day job. That used to be a heckle. Yeah. Right? Don't quit your day Don't job. Don't quit your day job, right? yeah. But there are comics now who never intend to quit. Yeah. They're not going to give up the benefits, the pension, and all that great job they have, but they do it as like a, a hobby. Yeah. They're hobbyists. They're yeah. hobbyists, right? They're amateurs and they never intend to go pro, really. Yeah. Right? But they call themselves comics. But they don't learn how to do stand-up comedy. They don't learn how to be to be in part of the show, to how to do show business. They yeah. just learn how to do what they do then. And I understand it. Because if you're killing time on the weekend, if you're a young guy, 
you got a better shot going on stage than stand at the bar with the other guys. Absolutely. I mean, if you're trying other, to attract yeah. a woman. You know, I've, I've told people, I go, for some people, it's like their bowling night. Yeah. I go, yeah. I, I, I've actually told people, I, I go, that uh, if talked about taking a workshop. I go, look, if you're looking for a reason to get out, it, it reason to get out, and you're not athletic, and, um, you know, and also, you're right, you go to the bar, you're broke, they're going to give you one free drink, you get to, and then you got a group of people, everybody knows your name, and you just hang out in the back. Yeah. That can be... It could be a positive thing. We it, did it, the same thing. Yeah. You and I, we were that yeah. great guy in the bar. They go, here he comes. Yeah. Here he comes. Yeah. You know, he's going to be funny. He's going to start some stuff. Here he yeah. comes. I know that. People used to go like, you showed up that party? No. Oh, come on, show up. I got yeah. something for you. Yeah. People yeah. used to sort of bribe me, you know, yeah. with little breadcrumbs to show up at <laughs> <in> the party. <laughs> you know, it could be Here a he comes. <laughs> Get his head with stuff and look what comes out. Yeah. Give him one of these and watch yeah. what he does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be a positive thing in a person's day-to-day life. Oh, on Wednesday night, I go down and do this amateur night. It could be a negative thing for someone who then wants to take a little more serious because you're kind of being drawn back. Well, the, the hallways are clogged. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to get through to the to the main office, and, and there's a lot of people clogging up the hallway. So, But every generation has a different challenge. Yeah. So our generation, there weren't paying clubs. It was not easy to, to make a living, and the path was not very clear how to get there. Yeah. So that was our challenge. And today, it's yeah, it's very easy to see. Lots, there are a lot more comics making more money than ever. There are more comics doing theaters than ever before. Yeah. And you can see how to get there. Yeah. But the path is clogged up. Well, you know, what it is, is it's kind of, um, when I started, because I started about seven, eight years after you, it was actually one of the, when I look back in retrospect, the problem was you could make a living quickly. Because I was doing open mic nights for three months, and the first time I ever opened for anybody was for you at Paul Hop. But that's 85. That was 85. And then by 86, it was my job. The right. problem creatively for me, when I think back on it in retrospect, was it did become my job. So I had to keep the job. And the, the worse, the, the more backward the town, the better the pay at the time, just to get you there. So I'm getting like 300 bucks a night. I got... I got minus five minutes, and I'm going and doing 45 in Dothan, Alabama, and they give me 300 bucks, and then they give me 300 bucks the next night. But I had to service that beast, which you brought up to me many times during that day. You know, I, you know how I feel about this, and yeah. I, you know, because you had a choice back then, and I yeah. totally understand your choice. Yeah, because you weren't the only guy. There are a few guys like you who had this problem. Yeah, you come in, you're a very funny guy. You're funnier than most, but you have to get in line. Yeah. So that means you're now the opener, and the guy behind you is not as funny. The yeah. middle act's not as funny, and he's younger. Yeah. So kind of a little bit of an irritant there. Yeah. Because you got to work past these guys. You got to get past them. Yeah. So instead, you get impatient, and then the guy goes, "Hey, but I'll let you headline over here." Yeah. But you got to come out to 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 you know, the triple run. You got to go up into yeah. the, uh, into those bad clubs, those bad bars. Yeah. And the problem with that is in stand-up comedy, you don't rise above the crowd. Yeah. You can't bring idiots up to another level. And if you work these rooms that require you to do crap to get by, you come off the road, you got road stink. You know what? And the weird thing is... Your act becomes yeah, that act. There's that horrible seduction that no one talks about. If they're laughing in Boise, you're looking at them and go, they're human beings. They have heads on their shoulders. They have two eyes. They're laughing. These are the people who watch you're, television. And then you go, But it's different when you go back into town. This is not a new... That's the seduction. This is not a new problem. Yeah. There's a great story. You remember who Frank Fay was? He was a guy yeah, who, was, sure. who was a very famous comic back in, in Vaudeville. Yeah. And he sort of created the New York wise guy 
persona uh-huh. that Bob Hope did, that Jay Leno did, the, the wise guy persona. Had some problems right. later on with some of his a lot pro- of yeah. alcoholism, a lot of other problems. Yeah. But anyway, he was the biggest comic of that era. Yeah, late 1919, yeah. early 20s. He was huge. It was the MC at the Palace Theater, the jewel of the vaudeville circuit, the greatest theater. And a guy came up to him, a young comic came up to him and said, Fazy, I don't know why I can't break into New York. You know, I'm killing them everywhere. I go to Scranton. They love me in Scranton. Why can't I break into New York? And Frank Faye looks at me and goes, because they love you in Scranton. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that, that's a lesson that's kind of lost on a lot of guys who go on the road. Yeah. And I was under the impression that I could actually dual track. Yeah, but if you'd work, but if you worked the good clubs, which I had you into, yeah, you were working yeah. the improv. The improv was a great circuit, still is. Yeah, was a great circuit then. You had to work your way up, and I know you got impatient. You know, you look, you, you, you know, you know, a, a wife and a, wife you had a, and a daughter, and so you go like, I got to make more money faster. Yeah, and that was a way to make more money faster in the short term. Yeah, but it hurts you in the long term. Yeah. Well, we're here now. But you're right. But you're right. Yeah. It didn't change the fact that you were one of the funniest guys out there. It's just when you were there on the in those places, it it molded your act. Your act, what you did on stage, got changed. Well, you know, the weird thing is when you're out there, I realize I go, I'd be out there and I go, "You're really trying to do something." You know, uh, uh, Kurt Matthews used to make fun of me. He goes, "You're in Twin Falls, Idaho, man, <laughs> and you're trying to." And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, and then I realize I go, "This is their date night. This is." I remember sitting in a, a having eating in a restaurant one day and hearing uh, the bartender and, and waitress talking. I'm going, "You can go to comedy tonight." And I went, "Well, I think I'm going to wait for it tomorrow for the, uh, you know, when they got the dance night." It was interchanged. This is the where they went on one night. There was that, comedy. That, that's what it became. Yeah. Oh, like you just said, exactly right. Yeah. I had that in the book. I was like, one night they go here, one night they go there. Once it became that. Yeah. Then comedy started dropping off. Yeah. Then it became, we go over to the sports bar this night, we bowl this night, we yeah. go to the dance club this night, we do the stand-up comedy that night. Yeah. It's just another on the drinking circuit. Yeah. It wasn't special to go see stand-up. It's just, we drink here, this place, that night, we drink over this place, this night. It's just another place to drink. You know, there are two things I, I noticed too in those days. I would I, I would scour, you know, because it was harder. There was no internet, and I'd find mm-hmm. out when a new club had opened. And a new club would I call them up and go, hey, my name's Tony. I'm a comic from Los Angeles. <laughs> and they go, oh, wow, you're, you're from Los Angeles, and you're calling us? They go, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, they go, well, we, we're just opening up. Do you want to come in now while we're figuring out, or do you want to wait like a year? I go, I'd like to come in now. Will <laughs> you figure out it doesn't work? <laughs> and you go, you go into a new club, and all the waiters would be coming up and go, you're a comic, and you're from L.A.? Yeah. Oh, you're so cute. And and then you'd come back like a couple years later, a club lasted, and the waitress would be going, get the fuck away from me. Get away from me. <laughs> I won't say the comic's name. New York comic, terrible heroin problem, still around, probably off heroin now. But uh, I was working Saginaw, Michigan, cause, uh, and this waitress who was pretty came up, and she was showing. And she goes, hey, I was reading your uh, bio, and it says that you uh, played Dangerfields in New York. And I go, yeah, I, I've been to New York before. She goes, do you know blah, blah, blah? Because, you know, he was here like a couple months ago, and he said he's coming back, but I haven't been able to get away. A lot of that was like, they looked at comics that ticket out of town. Yeah, yeah. Can you take me with you? Can I, you take me with you, daddy? I knew a guy one time who got, he, he got a waitress pregnant, and then she became his man, and then they divorced his wife, married her. I was with him when that was all going no, on. No, this is a different guy. Oh, okay. This is a guy. And, then that guy, and then they got married, and she became his manager. But he, uh, when he was on the road, he seemed to forget uh, he forgot two things. He forgot the uh, what kind of clothes to wear, and he forgot that he was married. 
Yeah, that and, happens a lot. Yeah, and we knew this. Right. Okay, we knew this. And then the wife would call me up and try to hardball me on stuff. And I go, you tell so-and-so that this is what we're offering. But why would he take that? I go, just tell him. <laughs> but you guys must be good friends. I go, well, <laughs> we're very good friends. This is like the Russians and Trump. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very close to that. Yeah, we had yeah. these beautiful videos. Yeah, and we... And we yeah, this, we have, I saw you on television. You, you very look good. You also look good in this photo. <laughs> With goat, a 90-year-old boy. Here's <laughs> a nice picture. I give you this picture. We have more pictures. There were, there were comics, you know, that, that, that hurt some comics' yeah, careers sure. because they were in it for the party, which I was too, but they, yeah. were, they were in it to chase the women, you know, and, and you, that could, there was a comic, famous comic, you know, at the time, who spent more time doing that than he did writing jokes, and his yeah. career just fell off. I remember following him in the in the Cleveland once, and I'm, you know you go in there and, and and really all the waitresses were suffering from PTSD. Yeah, I mean it was like the week after he was there, and I could tell I had just this vibe. They were kind of like skittish, and so I didn't bother them all week. I just tipped them nicely, yeah. got my drinks, didn't even talk nothing, you know, all week. And last night we were all partying together, and this one waitress goes, "I'll give you a ride back to the hotel next thing I know." She's up in my room. Uh-huh. So she goes, later she goes, you know what? I came with you because you were so nice all week. You're just respectful, nice. That comic last week, man, all of us just hated him. The, the first night they were standing at the, the waitress station cleaning up. No, cleaning it up like right there. And he walks up and like all like seven or eight waitresses standing together working. And he just goes up to one of the waitresses. I got a bottle of champagne. You want to come back to my room? Yeah. She says, no. He just turns the next one. Like, it's interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. I got a bottle of champagne. Would you like to come? She said, he went to every one of us. Yeah. Just like, it, it, we could have felt more like just cheap dirt. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, um, and, uh, and, you know, that's, there was a lot of that. I, you know, I figured out one time, I forget what it was, I was on the road, and uh, I'm looking at all the people there that work there, and I go, they're actually here when I leave. They're actually uh, going to be here when I leave. This is their job, you know, and we come in every week, and, uh, Comics oftentimes seem to think that they're all like in some sort of suspended am- animation till they show up. <laughs> and, and then, oh, you know. And well, there were, there were comics like John Fox who, you yeah. know, that, that you'd go there and they were on, they were like ready for rehab when you got there. Yeah. They were all like itching and scratching, going, are you, are you going to be like John? Can <laughs> you keep it going? Can you keep it going? <laughs> John, what, John a, you know. what a mess. What a, you know what? The thing with John was uh, when you talk to him, he still was a 12 year old. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Okay, but yeah. uh, uh, okay, uh, uh, he was. If you talk to him, he was like a. And some of those guys stayed on the road so long because the road can actually kind of. I, I realized after I could kind of, if you stay on it too long, can stunt your emotional growth. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to make your own bed. You don't have to cook your own food. Someone's probably home paying your bills. And you get to kind of live like a child for a much longer you, period you, of time. Yes, yeah, so you think that Peter Pan thing will work. What happens is. And what the, a lot of comics don't realize is that you're an athlete. You have a certain amount of time to make it. Yeah. At a certain age, they just go, you've been around too long. You're not going to make it. Make yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And then and the clubs eventually go, you know, you're too old for the comedy clubs. Yeah. You age out of the comedy clubs because sure. they don't want a guy look like Nosferatu bent over a young girl <laughs> up there. You know, the, the crowd's 20 and you're 60 and you're, you're still up there yeah. going, hey, man, we're out here to get hammered and drunk. Hey, Grandpa, we're getting hammered and drunk, but not with you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's it's it it happens and it ha- it used to get, it happened back then. Fox was hilarious. Man. He was a, he was a god. He was a funny guy. He there's so many stories about him. You know, one of the pro- you're right. It's one of the problems with uh, um, uh, 
entertainment in general, I think, is oftentimes, because of the way entertainment is marketed and because of who buys entertainment, who consumes entertainment, by the time someone's actually good at something, you, you've kind of aged out. There's comics I knew who, after 20, 25 years, now they're ungodly funny. But they've aged out. Yeah, and it know? got, and it got, you know, it used to be the comics would start making it in late twenties and early thirties. Yeah, they would have to season, and by the time they're ready. But now comics come out; they're so much better. They come out of high school pre-programmed with five hundred hours of video in their heads. Yeah, of watching stand-up comedy. When we were starting out, you'd see a comic once in a while on a Tonight Television. Show, once in a while yeah. doing five minutes, four minutes. Yeah. You never saw a long form. I remember the first time I went to see a comic live do a long form. Steve Martin in '75, yeah. I think, was about then, or or Martin Mall around the same time. Yeah. And then I saw George Carlin. That's the first time I saw comics doing, and Robert Klein doing an hour. Yeah. Before that, I only saw comics do four or five minutes on Tonight Show or Merv Griffin or. You know, the first one I saw do a whole entire hour was was you. I had no idea because my my total my total relationship with with comedy was the Melrose Improv, the comedy right, store. Right. Right. Doing fifteen minutes. Yeah. Guys minutes. doing ten right. fifteen minutes and and television. It was guys doing ten or fifteen. Right. Yeah. Prior had done a special, but Prior was Prior done that movie. Uh, yeah, I did a movie uh, above and beyond everything else. He wasn't a comic. He was Richard Pryor. Right. He did you the know? movie. And I remember the first time seeing that in the theaters, the Uptown Theater in Washington D.C. Yeah. I went there and every day of the week I was there. A couple the ushers would laugh. They'd see me coming in. Yeah. And I just sit there and watch it twice, two times in a row. Three. It was the template for how to do a long form, how to do an act. You collect a lot of comedy albums as I do and uh, I've listened to Richard Pryor albums from 75 and go he's still ahead of his time his 1975 album is ahead <laughs> of now yeah but uh you know one of the reasons uh, tell me if you if you agree with this theory so a lot of musicians are really good by the time they're in their early 20s now up until what you're talking about the, the landscape has changed for many years a comic wasn't good till it was in his 30s right and a theory being that you have to do something for about 10 years for you get good at it so a bunch of kids get together in a garage. They would hear um, a Buddy Holly record, or they would hear an Elvis record, or later on a Beatles record, and they get their friends in the garage. And for like 10 years, they're playing in garages and high school dances and all that kind of stuff. So they start being pop musicians, rock and roll, whatever, 12, 13, 14. So by the time they're hitting 22, 23, they're really good. Comedy, for many years, was only plied in nightclubs, stand-up comedy, and you couldn't get into nightclub unless you were over 18 or over 21. 21, So yeah. by the time you could even go into the place where it worked, you were already in your early 20s, so that's why it was in the early 30s. And it's probably changed now because of the massive uh, uh, media access. People are doing, they're in, in talent shows in school, in junior high, not high school, kids are doing stand-up comedy. Buddy, I got a kid in uh, one of my workshops, uh, and by the way, we have a free intro for our stand-up comedy workshops this Monday, March 6th, at the Tempe Center for the Arts. If you ever thought about doing stand-up comedy, come down and check this out. Absolutely free. I've watched you teach. You're fantastic. <laughs> you know, You're a fantastic teacher. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, and it's finally, uh, the weird thing about um, teaching stand-up comedy, when I first started doing it 16 years ago, although I did it in the early 90s when I owned my club, we used to do a workshop on Sundays, and it took me a while to figure out how to do it. It felt, it, and the real trick to teaching is listening. And no one understands. it. <laughs> you know the trick to stand up comedy? Right. Timing! <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So uh, uh, um, it, was, it was kind of a maligned, and I didn't really care because I've been maligned my whole life, so I didn't give a shit. But it was a maligned uh, um, idea. And I tell people, I go, look, you're taking an acting class and a writing class and putting them together, and then you're not putting the other actors on stage. You know, you are in a sense, but you're going to act them out. So, but I've got a kid in my class right now, 15 years old, sure. and this is his 
school project. His mother came to me and uh, I had a mother call me yesterday with a 10-year-old. And I said, look, I said, as much as, especially my beginning class, I try to keep it so that they're not going to hear anything that you, you have to explain to them what it means later. They're in there with adults. I said, so I'm not going to accept a 10-year-old. Even with 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds, I'll tell the parents, you have to come the first couple times. And they go, well, you know, he watches television. I go, seeing something on television is a little different than in a room with a bunch of adults who then, here's another thing I found fascinating. Smart people, attorneys, district attorneys, okay, uh, heads of multi-million dollar companies come in and would have the filthiest, goofiest acts. And I go, why is this smart person? I go, oh, this is their break. This is their break. But um, I have, you're talking about younger kids. I have a 15 year old kid. Sure. It's his school project. Sure. It's, there's reports being done on it. So they are, now they do have a way to do it uh, younger and some of the younger people. They can see the path more clearly. Again, like I said, there yeah. are comedy clubs everywhere. They're, every small town has a comedy night. Yeah. They're just exposed to it on television like crazy. They can go on YouTube and see a million videos of every sort of stand up comic. Yeah. The yeah. history of it's there almost if it's any from from the 1950s on. Let's uh, uh, we got to we got to close out in a minute, but there is uh, something on television right now on CNN, and uh, I still like I still am a a news junkie, uh, and you have uh, you're, you're you're kicking that disease. Well, I, I I you know I cable news is just for profit, so I have no faith in that. I read the I read the New York Times, I read the Washington Post, so yeah. I don't get any news from cable news. Yeah, because it's all about profits, all driven by profits. I think there's still some good people on gay. I mean, I got to I got to be frank with. You. I think that Rachel Maddow does a good job. I think Lawrence O'Donnell does a good right. job. You know, uh, but you know, you're right. You're going to get a thumbnail. Oftentimes, I'll see some on cable news, and then I'm immediately to my phone or whatever magazines I'm currently subscribing and taking the deeper dive of what they said. CNN is running a special right now on the history of stand-up comedy, history of comedy in history general, history of comedy, Not yeah, history of comedy in general. And uh, I've had people ask me about it. I go, it's a, I go, it's a good thumbnail. I go, yeah, it's a good it's thumbnail. It's barely skimming the surface. Right, right. It's got some inaccuracies that I, I caught. I watched. It's it's really, it's comedy 101, but it's good. It's good that way. Anytime you put any kind of attention on for me, I like it. Yeah. I mean, I heard, I saw Norman Lear, who is the genius, being uh, interviewed about All in the Family and was left out. He didn't go, you know, it was on in England. But the comedy, see, this, this, <coughs> this also, again, the history of comedy. Again, it stops. Basically, there's nothing before television. There's nothing really on there before television. Nothing on before black. Right. Mike. So the history of it before television, really, even because you know, you, you when you talk about like I just read, a Rolling Stone magazine had another list, the top fifty stand-ups of all time. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious. If you don't have Will Rogers in your top twenty, you have no idea what you're talking about. Absolutely. Even top ten. Yeah. So they have nobody on this list. There's nobody on this list before most comics. Their list just includes. Basically, the people who made them laugh. Yeah. So it doesn't go any further than your your lifetime. So on this list, there was really basically very few people in the early part of the history, none whatsoever before 1960. Now, I didn't see the one on female comics. We have it taped, but mm -hmm. I asked somebody, I think I asked you, there's no mention of Elaine May, is there, on the uh, history of... No, no. And, and when I have a, a lot of uh, young female comics who will uh, take my workshop or ask my advice. I go, I go, Google... When I used to go to New York in the 80s, there used to be the History of Television Museum, and that's where you, that's the only place you could see old shows. Right. It was the only place you could see old shows. And I would go there for hours. Also, I was broke, and if you're in New York, and, and I'd watch you know, your show of shows and all of this. But now you can Google as I go, Google Mike Nichols and Elaine May. If you want to see one of the most brilliant female, brilliant comic minds happen to be a female, Elaine May was just stunning. Well, they don't. 
they don't mention you. The first, probably the first stand up, female stand up was Jean Carroll. Yeah. Right? Who was a team. They wouldn't let women go on stage by themselves. Yeah. Involved, though, they had to be part of a team. So there was no female stand up comic before World War II. Yeah. So if you want to know more about this, I mean, there's other books that I, I will recommend uh, later on. I've read a bunch of them. But I mean, if you really want to learn about stand up comedy and be entertained, and it's a, it's a good read. You know, I like it because it's a quick read without being a, a simple read. You know, sometimes a quick read is like, you know, really large print and, you know, <laughs> it's not like a Jackie Collins I book. got pictures in you here. You got pictures. You got some cool pictures in here. But it's a great read. It's Kicking Through the Ashes by Rich Scheider. My life as a stand-up in the 1980s comedy boom. Not only that, you'll be able to see him live tonight at the Tempe Center. Yes. Tickets are moving pretty rapidly. If you want to buy tickets, there are two ways to do it. You go to ComedySchools.com and click uh, Get Tickets There or call 480-350-2822. Be sure to use promo code Tony. Get two bucks off. Be entertained. See a great show. And afterwards, get to meet Rich, and uh, he'll autograph a copy of uh, his book for you when you purchase it from him there at the Tempe Center of the Arts. Rich, my friend, thank you very much. I will see you in a few hours at the Tempe Center for the Arts. We'll be right back on This American Podcast on ComedySchoolsRadio.com.